Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so excited today to be joined by the fantastic Claire Foy to talk all about her latest movie, Women Talking. And in, in talking a little bit about how you shaped this character for yourself at the beginning, you obviously had Miriam Toe's book as a reference, as well as the script that Sarah Polly had written. Um, and then it sounds like, you know, the fact that it takes place in the Mennonite community also allows for, for certain elements of research. But then at a certain point, there's there's spaces that you just have to imagine and create in an emotional landscape that you have to fill in that goes far beyond the, the intellectual side of the research. And so I was interested in, in that space of where the research was very helpful in forming the character and where that space was that you really just had to go off and explore and, and discover yourself? Yeah, so Miriam's book was really important to me. Um, I think there was loads of information about Salome in there, um, loads of things which were just really beautiful descriptions and a real way into a character which just is so helpful and also it's delicious to read really. Like the things that she would say about her was that her, like, her rage was like Vesuvian and her eyes were um, like very similar to the rest of her family that you could read exactly what she was thinking and that they were sort of always moving, always thinking, always engaged. There were, she was always on basically. She always had her foot on the pedal, I feel like all the time was the sense I got from the book. And so the book really was the bedrock. And there was also quite a lot of examples of what she'd been through in her life in the book. Um, one of her sisters had killed herself because of the attacks. Um, her father and what he was like in the colony. And there was loads of really amazing, really rich kind of backstory. So a lot of that work was done for me. I had to flesh a lot of that out. But um, that was incredibly helpful. But also at the same time, you follow, I followed what Sarah had adapted. I didn't try and get those bits of information into the script in any way. Um, but fundamentally she, you know, Miriam was brought up in a Mennonite community. Um, and so I felt like obviously that sort of world is very close to anybody who's not in it. So I did feel like the book was basically my, my version of a Bible in regards to the character and the environment that we were in. That was based, everything that was in there, I took as gospel basically. And, and with that point as well that you bring up about, you know, being being raised in this very specific community, there's there's this really beautiful description in the movie about how they'd never been raised to talk about their bodies. And so they didn't mm -hmm. have the language in order to discuss what was happening to them and realize that it was happening to everybody straight away. Um, and it feels like that language really informs the script and the the way that the characters speak as well. And so I was interested in, in how you kind of viewed the the worldview of your character for someone who is in this place of starting to have this idea of we might be leaving into a place where we don't know what it's like beyond the confines of of the colony and of this specific community and even just what that means in terms of not knowing how to read and to write and not being educated but knowing that there's semblances of, of bigger things outside of themselves from from seeing the men educated alongside them yeah, I think it's difficult with the approach that Salome had. Salome was very embedded in her, like she was very choosing her choice. You know, she was very like, I am staying and fighting. I don't think she, I don't think she knew what that fight was. I don't think she thought she was going to take up arms and start, you know, a war, a civil war with the men in the colony. I don't think that's 
but fighting for what she wanted, which was justice, fighting for this not to be forgotten and over, fighting for them to pay, to be punished, mm-hmm. you know, fight. She wanted, um, I think that's what she wanted was for them to, to pay for what they'd done, for retribution, for, you know, there to be some consequence to their actions because seemingly that wasn't happening. Um, the women have been told that they had to forgive the men within, you know, let's say 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And she was in no position to forgive them. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was a really large part of it for her. And so the concept of there being anything outside of the com- community for her is not worth thinking about, not worth contemplating and not going to happen, mm-hmm. which makes her eventual kind of decision to do that all the more um shocking for her I suppose um and I did you know find what I loved most about the script one of the things I loved most about the script when I read it was that these women were speaking in such a heightened way because the only language they had was the language of religion and the only way that had been passed down to them was through the men of the colony so none of the way they spoke was to have, was owned by them in the same way that the way they, they never spoke about their bodies. They didn't own any part of their experience of being alive in the world. Um, and their experience of being alive was never appreciated. It was never reflected back at them. They only saw it in the other women. And even that, you know, we, we would say things like sort of Western presumption that I would be like, well, surely they would breastfeed in front of each other. And we were told, no, there would be apps, their bodies were not, even with the women, were not, they were denied. They didn't have bodies, basically. It wasn't a thing, you know, and I would have thought in being in, you know, when the women were all together, um, Miriam was very clear about the fact there was so much joy, so much laughter, so much, they were so tactile with each other. Um, There was so much kind of, they were so close and yet still for that fact to be true was pretty um, hard to to understand, I suppose. But I think that, yeah, the way they speak and the way that they talk about themselves is trying, they don't have the words of their own. They're trying to use this language, which is not their own to describe something which they have experienced and trying to own it for themselves. And that's why I think that, the language is so beautiful and and so true to what they've experienced in their whole lives. I mean, I, I think that's that's such a beautiful sentiment with everything that you're saying about that language as well, and especially with the fact that she's so staunch in her decision. And and going back to the point that you were making before about the way that the the book describes her energy, um, and that she's very much someone who who has a foot on the pedal and is very much in forward momentum as a character. I was interested in how that interlaced into filming a lot of these ensemble scenes because there's a real gentleness to a lot of the pacing there's a lot of moments where everybody's really making space for each other and and a lot of your performances is, is listening as much as it is delivering um and for a character that that tends to have that forward momentum how did that influence the way that you were creating these very instinctual responses in the way that she's listening to other characters when you're filming these these very in-depth and complex ensemble scenes that are very emotional yeah, so I mean, I must say that I it, I felt quite nervous and also uh, embarrassed um, about 
how much space that Salome takes up, which annoys me even admitting that because she should be allowed to, and I don't know what my problem is. Um, I it, It's a very unusual energy for me to, to have. Um, and it's a very, it's a hard thing as an actor, well, for me, to assume that position in a, in a group of people to just take take the floor, take it. Um, especially at work, like it's just not how I work and it's also not, I, I mean, it is probably who I am deep down, but I just don't do that in life. I'm, I just don't do it. Um, even though I can think I'm right in my head, I won't necessarily just shout over everyone and say, <laughs> I think I'm right. Um, so I really had to, and I said to Sarah, I was like, am I not being too big? Is this not like, oh God cringing I just feel like I'm being really and and I had to just sort of deal with that on my own like that was my own judgment of her or of myself basically not of Salome I loved her and I loved how much space she took up I just I had a real issue with coming to terms with it which was surprising and also uh, yeah I'm a bit ashamed of that um I did come to terms with it and now I do it all the time so it's great um but I found that actually you know I'm more used to do, being the listener I love that's my favorite thing to do anyway um but I loved how um a lot of our job um, I can't talk obviously for all the actors there but I f feel like we were all of the same mind was to be there for everyone else was to be there for each other to be a pair of eyeballs basically staring back at the other person like to constantly be alive in the moment it wasn't difficult to do because the ex performance you were seeing were extraordinary and um, we everything it was different like that every time everyone did something they bought something new there was a new flavor there was a new sense there was a new energy and also the whole energy shift in the room could happen in a heartbeat. It was just extraordinary. And that would be not necessarily with dialogue. It could be something that someone did, a breath, someone take. We were all so connected that everything everybody did all the time was feeding into what everyone else is doing all the time. So it was, it was like an organism on its own, basically. So that was incredible. And, and, and that meant that really there wasn't really a lot to do apart from get out of the way of thinking you've got to do something just be there and respond really it wasn't it was the easiest job ever for that and and with with the way that she has anger as an expression and and very much the anger is that that feeling of this is an emotion that I can channel and I can process and I can deal with and if I stop feeling this way then all the other emotions that I'm trying to keep at bay are going to come washing in yeah. um you know that's an interesting space to build into a character along with the fact that you know, with, with the way that they describe how they've never asked the men for anything. I imagine there's a lot of instances where this has been an internal feeling that she hasn't been able to express outwardly as much in her life. And so how did you find what you wanted her emotion of anger and frustration to look like, given that she doesn't always have the opportunity to express it as an outward emotion, and given that it is really, in essence, also masking all of these other things inside of her? Yeah, so the interesting thing about Salome in the book is that actually she, of all the people in the colony, like all of the people, men and women, fights the good fight. Like she does things like she steals stuff. Like she 
there's one instance in a book where there's a dinner bell which tells people when to eat like a giant bell and she takes the bell down <laughs> and hides it because she's like no one gets to tell me when I eat or not and she's reprimanded and she has to apologize to the elders of the community but she's always pushing the envelope like she's always pushing the boundaries and yet she's still not um excommunicated and I think she's not excommunicated because she gives so much to the colony like she gives so much to the community she would do anything for every anyone she's such a lover really <clears throat> uh, and um she has such a huge heart so I think that's why she's so integral to the community and therefore can push the boundaries a lot um <clears throat> I, I think that her husband probably had an understanding of who she was but also I think she was very good wife very like very good typical Mennonite wife but I think when she's not in that environment of having to be quiet and good she just lets it all out and she bottles that up but I do think in this you're seeing her at a particular stage in her life and I think it's what you touched on which is that what Salome wants to be is sad at what's happened to her sad at what's happened to her daughter I don't know whether sad is the right word for what the myriad of emotions that you feel because of what's happened but I think that hopeless and sad because the hopelessness comes from how could this happen to her child? How could she have let this happen to her child? She couldn't protect her child. And also the God that she believes in has abandoned her and her child and her, the women of the colony. Her life no longer makes sense. So a sort of hopeless sadness, I feel, <clears throat> and a sort of deep betrayal. But the anger means that she can keep that at bay. And, you know, in psychology, anger is defense against sadness and fear and I think that that's basically she uses it to stay alive basically and I think the only time in the film where you see that it come in a little bit is when she finally admits that maybe they have to leave but I think she's so so at the beginning of that journey in life and also I think it's a lot to expect that she will ever get to the end of that journey of forgiveness considering what she and her family and her child have been through so, um, I, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, an engine that she needs to basically stay alive at this point, I think. And the performance that you're giving in this film is obviously incredibly emotionally raw. And there's also an incredible amount of technicality that goes into filming scenes like this because there's so many cast members, so many actors in this scene. <laughs> Um, you know, there's the blocking of what that looks like, the choreography of, of a scene and, and getting all of the coverage. And so it sounds like you would film about, you know, 10 pages over the course of a few days, kind of Sarah would feel like she'd gotten that, that chunk of things and then move on, on to the next. And I was just mm -hmm. interested in, in the dynamic and even just the emotional stamina of, of spacing out your performance in, in the way that you would be filming these very emotionally wrought scenes, but also still having to have a keen awareness of, of the technical side all of the times as well. Yeah, it was definitely, but all those things um, living at the same time, which um, I found scary in the beginning, but it was just a leap of faith. It was just, you had to know that you'd be all right. Um, which was a real lesson to me and I'm very grateful for it. Um, I think that it's interesting because it was really technical, but I think we eventually, so, we always did all the scenes all the way through. We wouldn't break things up. We wouldn't jump around. We wouldn't 
because we're on the right side, get someone else's cover. Like we would do the whole scene all the way through and then everyone, then we would turn around and do it all the way through, you know, so it would mean we were 120 takes in and it would mean that obviously 70 takes through, you would turn around onto your, onto your side and it could mean that then your, your, your shots would be 116 takes in. Um, which was just, I mean, remarkable really in the sense that it gave you such an opportunity. I think we all learned from doing it that the first time because I think we all said after that, look, we know what's coming down the line. We know some of the emotional scenes. Um, I don't think we are gonna be able to have that immediacy for those people who are delivering those emotional lines if it's not the focus of what we're trying to get at, if you know what I mean. I don't think we could do that. So I think we all together sort of broke down the script knowing if we stopped here, you know, so that we could break up the beats a bit more. And then it meant that we still did it all the way through all the time, but it just meant that it was a little bit more structured and we could plan in our heads when we would get to the bit. So that was really helpful. Um, but I do think that um, fundamentally there was an amazing learning experience. Like, you know, I, I, in this film, I cared much more about when I was off camera than when I was on. Um, I felt such a responsibility and, um, to, and uh, like to watch someone perform the way these actors were performed, like, I can't even tell you, like, to see people so vulnerable, so honest. And, you know, a lot of the takes are obviously in the film. To see that and witness that just meant I just I just wanted to be there for every step of it and just support those people and what they were doing and respect what they were bringing. Like, it was just like nothing else. So I didn't really... And then it, it's so weird, sorry to talk about it, because I'm just figuring it out as I'm speaking, but it's also that, that, that then when it came around to your, like, close-up, I suppose you'd call it, it was, I had to have such faith that the technical side of it wouldn't take over, you know, and such faith that it would be like, okay, just do it for, like, do it for real, do it, you know, it just, you had to just, there was a lot of a mental gymnastics going on um but it was such a learning experience and and yeah I'm really grateful for that and and in talking about some of the monologues that you deliver it within the film as well um mm. I think it's the is it the second one where she's talking about you know is it when the she's questioning what sort of god would allow this to happen to them the yeah. way that it develops her relationship and you know in essence when the men are done with us and they no longer have a value for us they'll move on to our children and mm. after kind of the first monologue that you've done it sounds like you were you were looking to Sarah Polly for for the for guidance on you know what's the right tone what's the right approach for this and she actually very much gave you the space and gave you the freedom to interpret that monologue and that delivery how you needed and what's really stunning in that performance is even just staying seated and kind of harnessing everything there rather than standing up and physically standing over anyone to exert those sorts of emotions feels mm. so much 
more powerful. Um, and so I was interested in, in how you really work to find the emotional scope and landscape of a monologue like that in a space where Sarah was saying, you know, th this is whatever you feel it needs to be. Yeah, I was just scared, basically. I was just scared that Sarah, I would go on the day with what I, not even so much what I thought the interpretation was, but how I had made sense of her life or who she was and what she experienced and what my emotional connection to it was or what I believed was the, um, the crux of her argument or her, what she was trying to do to the other people in the room. I think that's always the fear that you, it's so clear to you, you're like, well, this is what this person means and who they are and what they're saying. And then you can turn up on set and they go, no, that's not it. And you then have to somehow find that again, but with another person's perspective, which is the joy of working with a director because you get to have a different point of view, but also the fear because you may not connect to it in the way that they're thinking. And then you go, oh shit, well, um, well, that doesn't make me feel that way. That makes me feel a different way. I'm not gonna give you what you want or need. I'm gonna have to pretend to give you what you want or need, which is basically acting. Um, <laughs> uh, but with Sarah, I just, I, I want, I, it was such an important like moment for me for that character. I just didn't want to get it wrong and I didn't want to waste this language and dialogue by me not me going in the wrong direction and she was just like what whatever you think is going to be fine I was like yeah but what if I feel this way and you think it's awful and then on the day it's going to be terrible and we're going to be there for nine hours and I'm just never going to get it um and she just, she sort of found me funny. <laughs> she was like, no, she was like smiling at me. I was like, this is no smiling matter. Um, I think because she just knew it was like a, pre a preamble to me just getting the hell on with it. And, and, um, and I think sometimes you just need to go through those processes of just doing that. It's like some sort of big running jump that you're doing for a long period of time. But I wasn't on the day I, I mean, I'd, I'd done so much preparation with the text, everything like that. And so I wasn't worried about it, but I think, and, and on the day, I it was like the joy of, of when you do something and you just can't remember what you've done. And you, we only did it twice, you know, like just the dream, just getting to live in the moment and not think about it. But I did realize early. So I think probably midway through the shoot, I was like, Sarah, that speech I've got to do at the end. I don't think I should be stood up. I think I don't want to, I think it should be small. I don't think it should be big. That was the only thing that I, I went, oh, I see. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just knew that I wanted to be um, in my own, I don't know, in my own, I don't I can't really space like that I had to express I had the language was the way I was expressing myself I didn't want it to be about anything else other than the words she's choosing at that particular moment in time to say what she wants to say that's making sense it, it makes a lot of sense in, in listening to the way that you're describing it. And, you know, obviously towards towards the end of the film, there's there's the group collective decision that they're going to leave. And that's the choice yeah. that they all make together. 
And that really shifts the energy because they also realize that they have less time to leave than they thought. And yeah. I love, I love Salome's approach, even when she's saying goodbye to August and she's there with an ax in her hand, like, you know, she doesn't know yet what she's going to face once they leave, but she knows that she's no. going to need that ax at some point because there's things that she can't even fathom or imagine outside of the confines yeah. yet. But then she's also preparing August, you know, and giving him defensive elements for you're going to yeah. need this when they find out that you were part of this. Um, and I was just interested in in the shift and the change that you wanted to create, but also the elements that we've seen in her throughout the film, throwing these conversations that were that were already present in that version of her, just very harried, very prepared in her own way to leave the, the commune. I think Salome is just, Salome is the person that you want in a crisis. And Salome is the person you want if like a bear's going to attack you. Because she'd just be like, you be safe, I'm going to attack the bear. She just would, she'd put herself in between danger and the people she loves. That's just who she is. She would, you know, fear would be the second thought. That what I think she's more fearful of is the intellectual concept of lots of things. Like that's scary. I don't want to have to think. She doesn't want to have to think about things. She doesn't want to have to engage in debate about stuff that's more scary than just there's someone outside your door and they're going to kill you like she'd be like okay here's my ex um so but that also means that she also cannot have the faith that the world the owner has and she cannot have the spiritual engagement in life because she's always on with their foot on the pedal she's always where's the next what's happening who's doing what you know I doubt she sleeps a lot <coughs> you know she's just on one all the time and I get it like she she'd be sort of in a modern equivalent drinking Red Bull and like 40 fags a day but but busy hard working never stops goes to bed at two wakes up at six that's who she is um and so I think leaving the colony is I think she knows she'll be okay because she'll be with her family and that's all she you know it's what she cares about most but I think the I there was originally when she says about there was originally a little speech when she said about the fact that she'd sprayed Aaron her son that she'd broken what they made already by doing that, like that she'd ruined everything before they started. And I think Salome's a really good example of what human beings are, which is we can all be like owner and we can all want the best and we can all imagine the wonderful vision of what life could be. But in reality, someone is gonna do something to fuck it up. Someone's gonna do something. Someone's gonna take something of someone's. Someone's gonna, you know, it's, I've, have you been to Pompeii? Not yet. It's amazing, like, because you get all these things about how people used to live their life. And there's all these disputes about, like, land. And, like, disputes about your garden is overstepping my boundary by, like, two feet. That's what human beings do. It's depressing. But that sort of reality that there is no utopia because we're human and we're going to ruin it, basically. <laughs> Unfortunately, it would seem. Well, I was I was absolutely blown away by by your performance and everyone else's. I think I genuinely realized that I hadn't taken proper breaths throughout the entire film when the credits hit. So Aww. it's been wonderful to hear all of these details and and I love everything that went into this character. So thank you so much, Claire.
sorry for rambling so much and thank you for Not your questions you're so you're so good at this you're so brilliant at it <laughs>